did any, before I start my message, this, don't, you don't have to take notes yet. Did anyone else's heart need that just a, a few moments ago? Anybody? Y'all. I'm gonna get emotional. I'm serious, man. I, I didn't know that I needed that until I needed it. And can I just tell you something about our band up here that are here to lead you guys? They're not just, yes, we pay them because it's their job, but, but they really wanna lead you to Jesus. And I don't know if this will mean anything to a lot of you, it might to some of you. That last little moment there of never let go, like that wasn't planned. That was Lauren, Clay, and Caleb, and Jared, and all of them just kind of feeling out where the room needed to go, and they just took us there tonight. And my heart needed that. And I just hope you know that um, what happens up here is not just a show, it's not just fake. I mean, they're, they're some of the greatest people that I know, and they just led us tonight. And I just hope that in those moments, you're just, you're letting your heart soak that in. Even if you're not sure you believe it, I guarantee you, your heart needs to believe that truth right now. And so, um, man, I just, I just, I just, I, I'm sweating. I just like something that 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 got me real good. Um, I real quick. I'm just gonna stumble over this next moment. Maybe I'll get it together when I start preaching. Um, I need to tell you guys. So next Wednesday, next Wednesday we are uh, we're having our baptism service, which is pretty awesome. It's our home night. We have it uh, every semester. We're gonna be baptizing nine students and we're super pumped about it. Um, because of the way the room's gonna be set up and just everything going on with COVID, we are not going to be doing this again. Um, and so sorry if that's all want, want. Um, but here's what we are gonna be doing is we're gonna be streaming it live, like really live. Um, sh- uh, spoiler alert, we haven't been like live, live um, for our messages on uh, YouTube. We've been pre-recording it. Um, but, uh, but this time, like it's, it's live, live. And so what's happening in the room, you're gonna be seeing it happen immediately in the room with us. And so um, what we're asking, man, we would love for you guys to tune in next week um, at 7.30 on our YouTube page. If you got a small group, watch it with your small group. Maybe you can get a small group together. Um, it is probably my favorite night of the year. And of all the sermons I preach all semester long, Nothing speaks louder than the stories that you're going to hear on that night from people sitting in the chairs just like you. So next Wednesday night, home night, tune in live with us. We'll be in the chat. It's gonna be a night that you don't wanna miss. Um, It will live there on YouTube after, but it's always better to experience it in the moment. So we hope that you would tune in with us uh, and get your people. Um, And sorry, just one more plug. If you have a friend that isn't sure what they believe about Jesus, I promise you, Hearing a student's story and hearing their struggle and hearing how Jesus changed their life will do more for them than any sermon from me any day of the week. So I'm telling you, if there's ever a week to bring a friend over, to invite them to your apartment, to invite them to your dorm room, whatever, to watch TLR at home, it is next Wednesday night at 7.30. Did I do an okay job at selling you on, on selling you about home night next week? Are we good? Are y'all with me? Yes? Y'all excited? Fantastic. I'll just take that as a yes, even though I don't feel it, but that's okay. I'm not gonna hold it against you. Here we go. I think that's the only announcement that I really had to give you. So Living the Dream is a series that we've been in for the past few weeks, and tonight we are concluding that series, part four. And if you've missed any of this series, it's one of my favorite series that I've ever preached. I cannot encourage you enough to go check it out. However you like to listen to messages, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, you can watch them on YouTube. What we've been doing is we've been tracking along and following the life of Joseph as found in the first book of your Old Testament in Genesis. 
And uh, the story of Joseph is a pretty unbelievable one. It's a crazy one. And tonight, as we conclude this series, we're going to look at this reunion moment between Joseph and his brothers that sold him into slavery. Now, if you've never heard the story of Joseph and you're like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Yeah, Joseph, his brother sold him into slavery. And tonight, um, we're gonna talk about that moment when they finally are re united. And, uh, and if you'd, I'm going to catch you up here in just a second, so don't worry if you're like, I don't know where this is going or what you're talking about. But here's what I need you to hear from me tonight is I believe with all of my heart that tonight's message can be a game changer for a lot of you, if not all of you. Um, in fact, um, oftentimes there are messages that I'm preaching that are personally convicting my heart, and this one was getting me really, really hard. As I'm saying something, when I was practicing, it was piercing my heart. I believe this message is a game changer for you. That if you've ever had anyone in your life that's close to you, that's hurt you, this message is for you tonight. If you walked away from faith because you could not believe what somebody did to you or said to you or the way that they treated you, I'm telling you, um, tonight is for you. If you've got a family member and you've got kind of this estranged relationships and the relationship and because of what they did or how they treated you or what they said or something that happened growing up and it's just never been the same, I'm telling you, tonight is for you. If any of you find yourself harboring, you ready? Unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, tonight is for you. I wanna warn you, you might get your toes stepped on a little bit. If you're watching online, don't dip out now. You guys, it'd be a little awkward to leave, um, but stick with me. And what I want you to do for just a second is I want you to think about somebody close to you and think about the worst thing that they ever did to you. Don't say it out loud, just think it in your head. It might be um, something even that you've deemed unforgivable. Some of y'all like looking like, I know what you did last week. No, someone close to you and think about the worst thing that they did to you. The, the worst hurt that they caused on you and in your life, something that you've deemed potentially unforgivable. For Joseph, it was the fact that his brothers literally sold him into slavery. And it wasn't even like a good deal. They sold him for the equivalent of 200 bucks. Like you can't even get a pair of Jordans for 200 bucks, depending on what kind you're looking for. They sold him for $200 into slavery. And if you're wondering why, if you want a little bit of context, this is gonna help you figure out where we're going. So let me just set this up. Joseph is, uh, has 11 brothers and their father's name is Jacob and Joseph is the favorite. Any favorite children in the house? Like, yeah, like, you know, like you're proud of it. Like I am the favorite, okay? So Joseph was the favorite. His dad favored him. He's the one with the coat of many colors. Like that's the Joseph that we're talking about. And so because he was the favorite, his brothers hated Joseph. And to make matters worse for Joseph, what we learned in week one is that God gave Joseph a dream. He gave him a dream that one day he was going to rule over his brothers and that his brothers were gonna bow down to him. So naively, Joseph told them about the dream and it made them hate Joseph even more, so much so that they decided to, to kill him. They were gonna plot to kill him. So they kind of get him one day, they throw him in a pit and they're trying to figure out what to do. And then one of the brothers, Judah says, you know what? Maybe killing him is a bit strong. I got a better idea. Let's sell him into slavery. 
very compassionate of you, Judah. So they sold him into slavery and then he found his way to Egypt, ended up in a guy named Potiphar's house who was a high ranking official in Pharaoh's army. He ends up getting a lot of responsibility in Pharaoh's house, but then desperate housewives happen and he got falsely accused of sleeping with Potiphar's wife. Okay, that's part number two. You need to go watch that. Joseph fought temptation real hard. So then he goes to jail for something he didn't do and he's forgotten in jail. Um, He connected with somebody that could have got him out of jail. That guy, when he got out of jail, forgot about Joseph. So Joseph spends years in prison for something he did not do. That's part three. You need to go catch up on that. And so now here we are, Joseph's about to get out of jail. And that's where we're gonna pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41. Are you with me? Fantastic. Here we go. So Genesis chapter 41 opens up and Pharaoh, who's the most powerful person in Egypt, he's the most powerful person in the world. He has two dreams and he's frustrated because he can't interpret the dreams. I mean, we all struggle with that, right? You wake up and like, what does my dream mean? Kidding, no one ever struggles with that. But he wants to know, he, he's, he's bringing all these people in to help him figure out what his dream is about. And then his cupbearer, a cupbearer was basically somebody who, um, the, the simplest way to say it, he would take a sip of the wine before Pharaoh did to make sure there was no poison in it. Fantastic job. And so the cupbearer at one point was in prison with uh, Joseph because Pharaoh was upset at him for something. And the cupbearer had a dream and Joseph interpreted it for him. And the cupbearer was like, bro, if you're right, when I get out of here, I'm gonna help you. He didn't, he totally forgot about him. So as Pharaoh is having these dreams years later, the cupbearer's like, oh my gosh, hey, boss man, I got a guy. I got a guy for that. His name's Joseph. He's in prison, but he can help you. He was like batting a thousand. He nailed my dream. He can help you too. So Pharaoh summons Joseph out of the dungeon. The text tells us that he shaved and he got on new clothes because that man was probably ratchet. You can't do that coming up to Pharaoh. And so he comes up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him his dream. And Joseph said, God can interpret your dreams. God will give me the interpretation. And he says, Pharaoh, this is what your dream means. That there's going to come seven years of plenty in the land, seven years of feast, seven years where the land is going to produce more food than you know what to do with, more grain and more crops than you know what to do with. But following those seven years are gonna be seven years of famine, severe famine. No crop is going to grow. No field is gonna reap a harvest. It's going to be really, really bad. So Pharaoh, if I were you, what I would do in those seven years of plenty is I would make sure I am saving up all the food I possibly can in order to make it through those seven years of famine when the whole world is gonna be looking to Egypt for help. So Pharaoh looks at this guy who's gone through hell and back all because it started when his brother sold him into slavery, but don't forget the dream that God gave him. And he says, Pharaoh, uh, he says Joseph, you're the guy that's gonna make this happen. He looks at Joseph and he says, you are gonna be the one to make sure that we get this right. Genesis 41, 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I hereby, says Pharaoh, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. 
is Joseph's moment. His brothers threw him into a pit and then he got falsely accused and found his way into a prison. And now he's found favor with Pharaoh and he is head of the palace. The pit to the prison to the palace. The unbelievable thing about the story of Joseph or the cool thing about the story of Joseph is it kind of ends in a very similar way to how it started. The way that it started is that God gives Joseph a dream. This is what I'm gonna do through you. Joseph was favored by his father. Joseph was given a robe by his father. And Joseph had an encounter with his brothers that did not go in his favor. And here we are at the end of the story. God is now fulfilling the dream that he gave Joseph 20 plus years later. He has now found favor with Pharaoh. He is given a brand new robe. And now he's about to have an encounter with his brothers, but this time he's in the power position. Get your popcorn ready. Because what Joseph predicted is exactly what happened. There were seven years of plenty and Joseph's job was to make sure to store up as much food as possible. In fact, they stored so much food up that they stopped keeping track of it. And then the seven years of famine hit and they hit hard. And the whole world, as they knew it, is coming to Egypt to get food, including the very brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. But this time they've got to come to their brother for help. Genesis chapter 42, when Jacob, the dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. It's desperate. Like go to Egypt and get us some food. Now Joseph, the text goes on, was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So ironic. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their face to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. The text, it's so hard to do this justice, but can you imagine this moment? Imagine your brother or sister or your best friend, if you don't have a brother or sister, sold you into slavery. And then 20 years later, they're coming and bowing down before you because they need some cornflakes. It's the best thing I got to grain. I guess bread would be grain, but you know what I mean? Imagine that moment and they don't recognize you, but you recognize them. They have no idea who he is, but they're bowing down. And as you're seeing, 20 years in the making this moment, 20 plus years, it was 21 years, I think exactly. And now they're bowing down before Joseph just as God had told him in his dream that it would happen. But even though God gave Joseph that dream, we talked about this in week one and there's a whole sermon here that I already preached. Just because God gave Joseph that dream, Joseph had no idea how it was going to play out. But he's seeing this happen and you can feel the tension if you put yourself in that situation. So he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and the text goes on. And he spoke to them harshly. Where do you come from? He asked. So at this point, he's kind of like messing with them. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We're here to buy food. 
And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then it said he remembered his dreams. It's like, and I don't know, honestly, I bet you he remembered immediately, but it's probably in that moment thinking, oh my gosh, God told me this was gonna happen. I remember I had a dream about this. God told me that they were gonna bow down to me. He remembered his dreams about them and he said to them, you are spies. It's a funny thing to say. Back then, I guess that was a thing. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. I'm like, Joseph, can you think of something else to say? But they replied, your servants, this is so fascinating, were 12 brothers, were, past tense. The sons of one man, Jacob, who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father. It's an important detail. Benjamin, who is the youngest now, he stayed with Jacob. I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. And they're talking about Joseph. To Joseph. Joseph would be like, yeah, what up, suckers? You know, Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place until, unless your youngest brother comes here. So here's what's happening here. And I'm gonna be summarizing a lot of text because this sermon spans three and a half chapters of Genesis and we don't have that much time. But here's what's happening here. Benjamin, the youngest, stayed home with Jacob. And what Joseph wants is he wants all of his brothers and ultimately his dad to make their way to Egypt. That's what he wants more than anything. So he's trying to figure out how to do this. But here's what's about to happen in the next couple of chapters as well, is that Joseph is going to test his brothers. Because you're probably thinking, okay, so he wants Benjamin to come. So why is he playing this game? Because what Joseph is about to do, actually, he puts them in prison. He puts them in prison and he's like, okay, here's what's gonna happen. One of you is gonna stay here. The rest of you can leave. One of you is gonna stay here. The rest of you are gonna leave. And this person, and it was Simeon, he drew the short straw, the short straw, the brothers, Simeon. You're gonna stay here, Simeon. And then when Benjamin comes back, then all of you can leave. So he's saying, hey, you guys can go, but not everybody until Benjamin comes. Why? He wants Benjamin to come. But here's what Joseph is not doing. And this is really, really important. Joseph is not trying to get even with his brothers. He isn't angry with his brothers. Here's what Joseph is doing. Joseph is going to be testing his brothers over the course of the next couple of chapters. Because Joseph could just reveal himself and say, hey guys, it's me, bring the whole family. Here's what Joseph is trying to do. He's trying to figure out if his brothers can be trusted. He's trying to figure out if the brothers that sold him into slavery have repented. And the reason why he's so concerned about Joseph, not only, or Benjamin, not only does he want Benjamin to come to him so that they're all together, he also wants to know if his brothers treat Benjamin, who is now the favorite, just like they treated Joseph. So I just wanna be really clear. I can't go through all the text tonight, but if you were to go read the story, you might look at what Joseph is doing. He puts him in prison. He says, some of them can leave. Simeon has, to, Simeon has to stay. He's not being mean to his brothers. He's just trying to figure out where their hearts are at and if they can be trusted. So he sends the brothers home. Simeon is stuck there in Egypt as a prisoner. 
But Joseph sends them with donkeys holding bags of more food than they will need for a really, really long time, super generous. So then the brothers, they get home to Jacob and Jacob's like, wow, this is a lot of food, this is awesome. And he's like, so where's Simeon? And they were like, well, funny that you ask. A little speed bump, not a big deal, but he's kind of in jail, what? You know, and, and he's like, so the, the guy there, the, the Pharaoh's guy, whatever, he gave us all these donkeys of food though. Um, he said that Benjamin has to go back before Simeon can leave. Jacob is like, absolutely not. Now here's why it's important. It's gonna play a role in just a second. Benjamin and Joseph were brothers and their mom was a girl named Rachel. And the reason why Jacob favored Joseph and Benjamin over all the others is because Rachel was his favorite wife. Yeah, y'all thought y'all's family was jacked up, okay? And so um, the other brothers are half brothers to Benjamin and Jacob, so to Benjamin and Joseph. So I should have drawn out family tree. So Jacob's like, no, Benjamin is the only son I have left from Rachel. You guys are not taking him because the last time I let my eyes off one of them, Joseph, he died. Or that's what his brothers told the dad happened. They said that Joseph died. So he's like, no, 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 Benjamin can't go. They're like, no, 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 trust me. Zimeon is not getting out of jail if Benjamin doesn't come. So then he looks at Judah, one of the brothers. Okay, listen, I will let Benjamin go with you, but if anything happens to him, it's on you. So Judah's like, all right, cool. I can handle that, dad. So they go back to Egypt a second time. They get there. It's a very warm welcome. Joseph welcomes them into his house. They have a feast. They're killing it. They're they're all fancy drinking Coke out of glass, Mexican Coke. Like, it's awesome. They're loving life. It's fancy. Y'all know it's the best Coke. You know it's the best Coke. And so they're just, they're doing their thing. They're talking. They still don't know Joseph is Joseph. So then he's sending them home with more food than they will need for a really long time again. But this time he tells one of his attendants to take a silver cup and to put it in Benjamin's bag. And he's like, don't let Benjamin see you do this. So he's like, okay, so he did it. And then the, the brothers are getting up to go back home. They're like, man, really enjoyed this, Joseph, thanks. Well, they didn't call him Joseph because they didn't know he was Joseph. I don't know what they called him, actually. Now that I think about it, that's a fascinating question. I'd love to ask God one day. And so um, they're all leaving to go back to Jacob, their dad. And then Joseph tells one of his guards, hey, go check their bags and make sure they didn't steal anything. So the, the, the guards show up and the brother's like, whoa, 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 chill, bro. I didn't take anything. Relax. Just, just, just look, you know, I got nothing to hide. So they start opening up all the bags and they find the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. What Joseph did was he framed his brother Benjamin. So you're thinking, okay, he's definitely getting even. Just hang on for just a second. So then they arrest Benjamin and the brothers are freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, dad's not gonna be happy about this. If anything happens to Benjamin, this is not going to go well for us. So Judah steps up. And he's like, hey, listen, um, you've got to let him go. And Joseph's like, hey, man, law's the law. He tried to steal from me, so sorry. And Judah's like, no, 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 you don't understand. My dad had another son, and it was his favorite. And something really bad happened to him, and it almost killed my dad. And if my dad loses this one, I think this will really kill him. Joseph looks at Judah, and Judah was the one who had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. So Joseph is looking at the brother that had the idea to sell him off to Egypt. And Judah's like, you know what, Joseph, listen, let Benjamin go and take me instead. And in that moment, Joseph realized his brothers had changed. His brothers had repented. His brothers 
now could be trusted, that his brothers were not the same evil ones that threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery as before. And then here we are, Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one there with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine this? I mean, imagine what's, I'd be terrified. I'd been like, hey, Benjamin, pull the camel around. Benjamin, go, shh, go get the camel. Go, where's the valet ticket? Go get the camel, we're leaving now. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I love this, come close to me. Hey, don't, don't back up, like don't be scared, it's okay. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. Remember the one you sold into Egypt? And they were like, oh yeah, I forgot that we did that evil thing. <laughs> you know, like what other brother did they do that to? And then he says, watch this. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Then he tells his brothers, listen, um, um, I'm, I've got this plot of land. Like you guys are gonna live there. I'm gonna take care of you. Also, one of y'all need to go get dad. And then this scene ends here. Then he threw his arms around his brother, Benjamin, and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked, talked, talked with him. The text doesn't do it justice but can you imagine that moment? Joseph, full with so much emotion, not able to take it anymore, finally breaks down in front of his brothers and said, it is me. And it's an incredible story, but here's what's so fascinating. Joseph is an incredible human being. And if you go back and you listen to the series or if you've been tracking along, you know that he was faithful in the midst of suffering. He never, never gave up on God. He fought temptation. He was a man of integrity in the prison. He was the best prison attendant that that prison had ever seen. But the most impressive thing about Joseph is what he just did with his brothers. In fact, I would argue the hardest thing that he probably did in his life, we just read about when he chose to forgive his brothers. Joseph had made it. He didn't need his brothers. He's in the power position and he had every reason to harbor bitterness in his heart towards his brothers, yet he chose to forgive. And why is this the perfect conclusion to this series other than chronologically, it's just kind of how it goes in Genesis. You ready? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You will never be able to live the dream if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart. 
you will never be able to take hold fully of all that God has for you and for your future if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart. That you will miss out on what God wants to do in and through your life if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart. Relationships are messy. Friendships are messy. God knows families are messy. Marriage is the best and hardest thing that I've ever done. And as incredible as my wife is, I still find a way to make it messy. And forgiving someone is really, really difficult. In fact, for some of you, forgiving someone or forgiving that person that's immediately coming to your mind might be the hardest thing that you've ever done. But I'm telling you, living a life of unforgiveness is harder. It's more detrimental. Why? Because you will never be able to live the dreams that God has for you when you harbor unforgiveness in your heart and in your life and in your relationships. Write this down. Because unforgiveness breeds bitterness and bitterness holds you back. If you're writing notes, I want you to take this down. Unforgiveness will breed bitterness in your heart, that it will begin to callous your heart. It will begin to harden your heart and bitterness will hold you back. Like whoever, whatever, whatever that person did to you, they, they talked about you in a certain way. They cheated on you with a certain person. They stole something from you that was not yours. They took advantage of you in some way, emotionally, maybe even physically. They never showed up when they promised that they would. They got divorced even though they promised they were gonna work it out. You fill in the blank. The one thing that puts us all on even playing field here, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, is that we all have people in our lives that hurt us. And that's never going to change no matter the intention because we are all broken people who are not going to get it right every day. And what our default is to harbor unforgiveness, to hold the offense against them. And what starts to happen is our heart starts to callous. Our hearts start to harden. And isn't this so true? It kind of feels good sometimes to hold a grudge. Like it feels better to not forgive because there are some people that we're just like, you don't deserve my forgiveness. And sometimes how we respond is, I don't wanna let them off the hook for what they did to me. You ever felt that? And I don't, I don't wanna, if I forgive, then I'm gonna let them off the hook and they don't deserve to be let off the hook. But permission to just step on a few toes for just a moment. Bitterness holds you back. Here's what I mean by that. We don't wanna forgive sometimes because we don't wanna let someone off the hook, but the only person on the hook is you and me because they've moved on and lived their lives, but we're the only ones hung up on what they did. We don't wanna let people off the hook, but in reality, we're the only ones on the hook. Bitterness will hold you back because bitterness will tether you to the past. It literally tethers you to the past. It connects you to the past in the worst possible way. And ultimately what bitterness means is that there's some pain there, that there's a wound there that has not healed. There's something that you're stuffing, something that you're suppressing, something that you're ignoring that you're not willing to work through. And your pain and your wounds will never get better if you choose to be bitter. 
because bitterness is going to hold you back. But while bitterness holds you back, forgiveness frees you forward. Write that down. Bitterness holds you back, but watch this. Forgiveness, it frees you forward. Rather than being tethered to the past, entrapped by the past, you are now free to move forward into the direction that God has for you, into the purposes that God has for you, into the dreams that God has for you. Bitterness will hold you back, even though it feels good for a little while, but forgiveness, watch this, it will free you forward. What do we learn from Joseph about forgiveness? Three things that I wanna talk about really quick and then we're done here tonight. And the first is this, I love the rationale for why Joseph forgave. You remember what he said? He looked at his brothers and they're terrified. Joseph, you can write this down, he had a really big view of God. Joseph had a really big view of God. He looked at his brothers and he's like, hey, listen, I don't want you guys to be upset. Like, don't be scared of me. You think you did this. No, no, you didn't do this at all. God did this. Did you notice that? You, you, you thought you were the one that sent me here. No, 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 no. That was God that sent me here. What was Joseph saying? Did he believe that God caused the evil of his brothers? No. What Joseph was saying was that God redeemed the evil of his brothers. That God used the evil of his brothers to bring about his purposes in Joseph's life and in his kingdom, that Joseph looked at his brothers and he said, hey, listen, what you meant to do to me was for evil, but God. What you tried to do was harm me, but God. Hey, you tried to kill me, but God. You tried to squash my dreams, but God was working his purposes the whole time. And some of you guys, I just wonder if you don't have a big enough view of God tonight. A big enough view of God that says, no matter what I'm going through, I know he is with me. No matter what I'm going through, I know he's gonna work in me. No matter what I'm going through, we preached, I talked about this, I think earlier in the series, there's all running together so I can't remember anymore, but he does not waste anything in your life to lead you to where he wants to take you and to do in you what he wants to do in you. He wastes nothing, even the suffering, even the evil done to you, even the bad done to you. He will redeem it for good because God is that big. Would this have been the path that Joseph chose? No. But it's the one that happened because we live in a broken world. But thankfully, we have a God that is good. We have a God that never lets go, just like we sang just a few minutes ago, and he works. And even if it doesn't look good to us, life isn't about your good and my good. It's about his glory. So he's going to work something in a way that brings glory to his name and to build up his kingdom. Joseph had a big view of God. So I just wonder if some of us need a bigger view of God. That his faith in the sovereignty and the providence of God cultivated in him a heart of grace and forgiveness. I'm going to say that again. Joseph's faith in the bigness, in the sovereignty, in the providence of God cultivated in his heart an attitude of grace and forgiveness. Hey guys, what y'all meant for evil was good, but God used what you did to save many, many lives. In fact, I love what he said. Hey, you thought you were doing something evil to help yourselves, but God redeemed it. And now because he redeemed it, I'm saving your butt. You're getting grain because I got to where I got. 
So I just wanna lean in for a moment and just wonder what a bigger view of God would do to your capacity to forgive. The second thing that I wanna say about forgiveness is this, and I wanna let some of you off the hook here, and I also just wanna, I'm gonna walk a line here that's a fine line to walk, but I'm willing to walk it even if I get it a little bit wrong. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that a relationship has to be rebuilt. Forgiveness doesn't mean that a relationship has to be rebuilt. That Joseph was trying to figure out if he could trust his brothers. He was trying to figure out if he was gonna be able to have a relationship with them anymore. There are some of you that need to forgive someone for something that they did to you or said to you, but that does not mean that you have to trust them the same way as you did before. That there are some of you in the room tonight that there has been unspeakable bad done to you and you need to forgive that person, but not because that relationship is ever going to be the same again, but because God wants you to be freed forward into the newness that he has for you. That you might have to forgive somebody, but the least healthy thing for you would be that that relationship continues as it did before. Now there's a fine line there and you gotta use wisdom and discernment and you should invite other people into the conversation. But the point is forgiveness will still free you forward, but that's not just an excuse to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter what you did. You can come into my life and hurt me again. There's wisdom in that. So I just wanna be really, really clear. Forgiveness doesn't always mean that the relationship is gonna be exactly what it was. There are still consequences, but forgiveness will still be the thing that will free you forward. In fact, there might be some of you, you've got somebody to forgive and they're not here anymore. You've got somebody to forgive and they don't want anything to do with you. But what the forgiveness is going to do for your heart and for your life is to free you forward in what God has for you. And then the third and final thing is Joseph's story is an unbelievable one. Maybe you feel a little bit of an unattainable one. I don't think so, but maybe. But you know what we have that Joseph didn't have is we have the model of Jesus. That we have Jesus to look to. We have Jesus to believe in. We have Jesus who modeled for us what it looked like to forgive even if we did not deserve because it's literally the gospel. That forgiveness, watch this. Maybe you should write this down. Forgiveness is not about winning or losing. Forgiveness, forgiveness is about being free and reflecting the heart of a heavenly father who in Christ forgave you and me. If you're a Jesus follower in the room, if you're not a Jesus follower, you get it off the hook for just a second. If you're a Jesus follower in the room, this is not an option for you. This is not an option for you. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just here to tell you, it's not an option for you. Forgiveness is not a nice to have. It's a must do. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. If you, can I just, I'm gonna step on the Christian toes. If you're not a Christian, you can back your toes up. I'm not looking to step on them right now. I'll step on them later. But if you are a Jesus follower, watch this. Choosing not to forgive is choosing to forget the gospel. 
Choosing not to forgive is choosing to overlook what your heavenly father did for you in Christ on the cross. That every single day we live a life that is unworthy of what Jesus did for us, but he died and our heavenly father extends grace every single time. That we've been forgiven freely and completely. And so come on, who are we to withhold it from some body else. I had a seminary professor say once that the worst sin you could commit, and I think he was speaking in hyperbole, but his point was to withhold the forgiveness that you receive from Christ from somebody else. There is pain that some of you guys will are experiencing and wounds that some of you are experiencing that will not be healed until you choose to forgive. And forgiveness isn't letting anyone off the hook. Forgiveness isn't saying that what they did was okay. No, forgiveness is saying, okay, it's time to move forward. It's time to move on. Okay, God, I know that you're working. Okay, God, I know that you use this. I know that they hurt me, but God. I know that they left me, but God. I know there are things that I've learned about myself, about my faith. I know there are things I can speak to. There are people I can lead now because of what I went through. God, you took what was and you redeemed it for good. And if all else fails, The forgiveness that I've received in Jesus is something that I should give to the world as well. And I really believe with all of my heart on the other side of you extending forgiveness is your freedom to step into the future that God has for you. I believe on the other side of your extension of forgiveness, there could be some restored relationships that you just like Joseph have been dying for to be restored. On the other side of your forgiveness, there is a healthier family that you did not think could exist. Can I just encourage you, some of you in the room today, that your relationship with your parents or with your siblings, you wish that it could be different. I'm telling you, I'm not saying it will be, but I'm saying it can be. I'm saying it potentially could be. And I just wonder what an extension of forgiveness could be a great way to start. There's a better future marriage on the other side of you extending forgiveness. Bitterness will do nothing but hold you back, but forgiveness will free you forward. And so my hope and my prayer for you tonight is that you identify the hurt, maybe you identify the name that you won't leave here tonight with some, without some kind of conviction as to say, I've gotta do something about this. I'm not gonna just write this down as a sermon that kind of convicted me a little bit, but no, 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 I'm gonna go do something with this tomorrow. The forgiveness might be direct. It just might be something that you've gotta do on your own and in your own heart between you and God, but don't let this night go away without taking a few moments and asking, Lord, okay, what would you have for me? Give me the strength to extend forgiveness so that in Jesus' name, you can walk forward and walk free. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that on the cross, um, you offered us forgiveness. We didn't deserve it. In fact, you had every right to just leave us in our sin, but but you, you didn't do that. You chose to forgive. So Father, I pray you would give us the courage to extend that same forgiveness to wherever, whoever it is in our lives that has hurt us. And I pray that as you give us the courage to walk in the way of forgiveness, we would experience the freedom that is found 
and not allowing bitterness to hold us back from all that you have for us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.